Previously on Vengeance. I'm so sorry, but there was no stopping them. It seems every publisher's guild in town has sent someone along to ask you about your magnificent exploits. What's your response to the rumor that the Carrot crew is responsible for an attempted murderer of Horatia, the Thieves' Guild? Uh, those rumors are absolutely unfounded. Thank you for coming out this morning. Let's go. Uh, you pass through a wooded area, and your way is suddenly blocked by a uh, cart, and you see two bodies lying in the road. I feel like Palfrey would be immediately suspicious that Sergio was involved. I'm going to go to the wagon and throw back the canvas or whatever is on there. Before you is a large metal cage on wheels full of a dozen or so orcs, adults and children. Why have they done this to you? Gillis the Powerful is rounding up all the orcs around Stone's Throw and is selling them into slavery. I think as soon as I hear that, I'm taking my hand axe and I'm going to just break this lock. As you continue on the road towards the town of Kepton, idyllic scenery all around you. Houses burrowed into the sides of hills. You see charming round doors. You see a cease and desist letter from Tolkien's estate. Oh, the Hurt Hills. Only a fool goes there. That would be the richest pipeweed fields in Keplin if that witch wasn't there. There's a witch. Those who live over that way say they hear some wailing on the wind, a woman's voice. You feel the rapier pulled out of its sheath at your side. There is a halfling with a wry smile on his face. This fellow would seem to be Master Kep. My theory is it's all this one witch or whoever it is. I think she just sends things out to spook people and keep them away. We don't really have a whole lot of tactics against ghosts. Is there any way that you can help us out with that? I was going to suggest that you talk to Gilly. All right, well, uh, thanks, Captain. And I'm going to walk out. You uh, catch his hand as he's about to steal a dagger off of you. <laughs> See, not so slow after all. <laughs> all right, that's good. I feel better about this mission. He disappears in a trapdoor. What a weirdo. <laughs> Unless anyone had anything in particular they were interested in doing before proceeding to this gilly person or otherwise wanted to explore in the Kepland, um, I was just going to kind of start us there to keep things moving. Cool. So I think it's reasonable that you would have been given directions to this place. So you're traveling west through the Keplin, and it's a sort of densely checkerboarded uh, farmland. And you're following this western road, which slowly gets smaller and smaller, and the farmhouses become fewer and fewer. And uh, finally, you're, you're walking on this, this road a few feet above the surrounding countryside, and the surrounding fields are just filled with weeds. And you're even seeing some small trees that are growing up on either side. And then eventually you come to cultivated land again and you see broad fields of pipeweed. Um, and they look different to you. Um, they seem far straighter and more uniform. And uh, the pipeweed plants seem more verdant. And it seems to just be the most uh, strictly and well-maintained farmland you've maybe ever seen. And a farmhouse comes into view and as you get closer to it, it seems to be ringed by these shining metal contraptions. And you would hear um, these sort of chiming sounds. It seems to be these elaborate, like, wind-catching, wind-chime kind of constructions that are encircling this farmhouse to our modern eyes. It would look like, almost like razor wire or something like this, this perimeter. Uh, what do you do? Is there anybody outside, like, working or anything? Roll perception. Uh, 16. Okay, uh, with a 16, you would notice um, that at the base of like a central pole of one of these whirligig kind of things, um, you would see the figure of somebody with a hat pulled down over their face. Uh, they seem to be like inside this contraption, uh, possibly asleep. I'm going to point them out to the rest of the group. Well, we didn't come here to make friends, but... We didn't come here to make friends, but let's do it anyway. <laughs> Not where I was going, but I do appreciate enthusiasm. <laughs> I think we should just go up and... I'm sorry, Danielle? I was, I was, I think I was saying the same. I was just going to go over and wake him up. Like. Yeah, let's do that. Cool. Um, which of you is approaching this person? Uh, I'll go. I, I would say poke him with a 10-foot pole. <laughs> okay. So, so as you approach, um, you can now clearly see that there is a, a person asleep in the center of this contraption. It is about 10 feet from the outside of this contraption to the center, and there are these sort of, uh, some of them actually kind of sharp-looking, like bent ribbons of, of metal and poles sticking out of it, and it's, it's sort of a, even hard to understand how this thing works or what it does. Um, but there's a distance from the edge of this uh, into this person. 
I just like to like kind of make a lot of noise, like talk amongst the group loudly. And does the, is the structure making the dome? Yeah, so it's sort of slowly spinning in, in the relatively calm winds, and uh, it's it's making sort of a, sh- a shimmering hum, I would call it. Um, yeah, so if you're being noisy, um, I think uh, this this person would shoot up suddenly, and you would see that it's a halfling man, a young halfling man, uh, maybe even, well, I won't get the age right, but the equivalent of a, t- a teenager. And six other heads pop up from around them, and there are these seven young halfling men who seem to have been sleeping, and seeing that they are being observed, uh, they all exclaim and uh, crawl out from under this thing toward the farmhouse and scatter off in several directions, uh, some of them holding pitchforks and other uh, farm implements. Sleeping on the job, eh? (laughs) You won't prove anything! I don't know that serfdom counts as employment. I mean, it's work. You're supposed to do it. (laughs) (laughs) When Coffrey worked on a farm, he had to get up at 3 o'clock in the morning and pick up rocks, put them in a bucket, (laughs) and bring them to a big pile of rocks. (laughs) So he doesn't have a whole lot of you know, a whole lot of uh, sympathy for people who are shirking in their farm labor. What did Palfrey farm? Uh, clo- clover. <laughs> cool. Okay. For free for animal feed. Okay. Yeah. Wait, yeah. Is, is Palfrey like an animorph horse? Has Palfrey been an animorph horse this whole time? No, 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 no. He just he just worked on a farm that <laughs> farmed clover for animal feed, and then he fell in love with a horse and left. Um, yeah, okay, so you're left standing with this this perimeter of whirling, singing metal between you and this farmhouse. What do you do? Are there any, like, discernible gates or, like, door knocker on it? No, I, I would say that, like, in studying it, you can see that there are, like, brief gaps in the way that things are spinning and interlocking, where uh, it's almost like a mini golf, like, windmill or something. Like, there are brief gaps where you could get through. Yeah, I'll bite. I'll try and step through. Cool. Being the most familiar with machinations and metal, I will try my best to be deft in this endeavor. Great. He's uh, the most middle member of the party. You are. Uh, roll a deck save. Oh, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm good at those. That's a five. Oh, boy. Uh, you take uh, one slashing damage and are propelled forward to the other side of the, uh, the perimeter as a, uh, a, piece of a, a sharp piece of a wind chime knocks you upside the head. But I'm inside of it now. You are. You are. And I think there's maybe sort of a pleasing gong as the strike is made. Gibetto just assumes that that's how it works. Like, it's a give and take. So he's just going to turn around and go, well, you got to take your lumps sometimes. Everybody just, you know, nice and slow, easy does it. I'd like to follow him in right after he says that. When he says nice and slow, easy does it, I'd just like to dip right in. Great. Uh, Is it fair to assume that everyone is going to have a go at running through here? Yeah, but Palfrey doesn't think that Palfrey takes Gibetto at his word, and he's not going to try to avoid it. So I don't want to make a deck save. I just want to take the damage. Just let it happen. Great. Yeah. Great. Okay. The the rest of you who had a chance to observe Gibetto uh, can roll a deck save with advantage, and let me know what you get. You have a modified twenty. Of course you do. <laughs> I got a seven. Yeah, you, you take one slashing damage and are flung, uh, and then you knock Gibetto over uh, as you're flung inward. Eleven. <laughs> Uh, same to you. Same to you. Do you know that for the pile? And finally, Pimlin, please. It's 15. Hey! And Pimlin makes it through. Nicely done. You, you and Suka are the only ones who get through unscathed. Nicely done. Um, yeah, so there's a, a, a sort of grassy space between you and this farmhouse. Uh, and you see a couple outbuildings, some geese running around. What do you do? I'd like to go feed the geese. Great. I'm the same. <laughs> I wanted to go chase the geese. So. Is there anybody around? Uh, not that you can see, I would say uh, you hear a sort of metallic, uh, I would say a tinkering sound coming from one of the larger outbuildings. Hmm. Let me go try to figure out what building that is. Cool. Yeah, I'd say it's the uh, a, a largish barn, uh, which has the double doors flung open, and you can see occasional bright light coming from inside there, and you hear a metal tapping. Seems like a wonderful place to start. Yeah, I'm going to tell Gibetto that there's, uh, I think, a blacksmith over here. Well, now, hold on. That's We don't just throw that word around. A lot of tinkerers and, and toy makers. We don't, let's see what we see before we start making wild accusations. All right. Have you ever uh, even met a whitesmith? <laughs> it's a real thing, actually. Uh, whitesmiths work with fine metals, like gold and silver. Uh, is this a binary distinction, or are there maybe, I don't know, 50 shades of gray in between the white? <laughs> 
Guys, we had a great time, but uh, I think we're going to have to call it for the night. Fifty Shades of Blacksmith is the best title so far. <laughs> is there a vantage point I can be at to have eyes on them going over to the outbuilding and eyes on Suka feeding the geese? I want to keep, like, everybody else in my sight line. Sure. Yeah, there's a cherry tree you can lean up against. Okay, uh, I would like to and perhaps, like, take a leaf off of it and chew it like it's, like, a corn is that, is that what they're chewing? Like? I, I think hayseed is the typical <laughs> yeah. term for that. Yeah. Yeah. But, a, but a leaf? Okay. Yeah. Like, I've seen somebody do it at some point, and so I'm like, I guess you can use any plant. If we hadn't already had so like a ton of like silly fruit tree and hallucinogenic biological effects, I would throw something like that at you. But for now, it will just be a leaf in your mouth. So there you go. <laughs> That's punishment enough. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think I'm going to head towards that outbuilding brazenly. Brazenly, great. Okay, you uh, you brazenly stride into this place, and uh, you see, almost equally confusing or indiscernible, just like a tangle of wire and ribbon-like metal and a sort of repeating, like, circular pattern. Uh, there is this machine that uh, somebody is lying underneath and is working on. Uh, you see a pair of halfling-sized leather boots and a worn leather apron uh, sticking out from under this thing, and there are flashes of light and tappings coming from the center of the machine. As I'm walking up to it, I'm still kind of calling over my shoulder to Finland about how, you know, when you've been in the industry long enough, you've seen all manner of craftsmanship. I'm pretty sure we can suss out what this person is doing. And as soon as I cross the threshold, just quietly to myself, I will say, there is nothing about this I understand. <laughs> Uh, the person does not seem to notice or hear you or anything like that. Just working, working. I'm going to wave a hand up and to whoever's watching, call somebody in with me because this is about to be a weird thing and I want backup. Yeah, I assume I'd be right there. Okay. Uh, let me see. <laughs> Uh, as you're standing there, uh, you hear fucking hell, and uh, like there's a crash, and the center of this machine falls like directly on this person. You see their feet like stick out uh, tensely, and they're like kind of squirming. I'm gonna run up and try and lift it off. I've been there. Great strength check, please. Natural twenty. Wow. Okay. Great. Um, yeah, like like a mother lifting a car. Off. Well, I'll ha- I'll hand it to you. What's the scene? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to run up, and at first I'm going to grab the boots and try and pull to see if that dislodges anything. And when that doesn't work, I'm going to actually just kind of um, come along to the side of it and slam my shoulder and try and roll the piece of the machine off of the person. Great. Uh, I think it totally works, and you, you reveal the surprised face of a uh, stout halfling woman who um, looks confused for a moment, uh, but then gives you a broad smile filled with crooked teeth. She stands up and brushes herself off with her hide gloves and uh, removes the very thick uh, goggle-style glasses from her eyes and says, uh, well, thanks a lot for that. Good timing on your part. Absolutely. I'm, I'm glad we were here just admiring your this it's a nasty to have something fall on you. I've had an anvil tip over on me once. And let me tell you, I was there for three and a half days. <laughs> well, I guess I've got nothing to complain about then, have I? Uh, now, this this here's a, uh, a plow that I'm working on because uh, we're a little short on uh, work hands lately and uh, just trying to make things work. What, what are you doing on my farm, by the way? Plow. We can come back to it. Yeah. Um, I'm not from around here. I'm not familiar with your... Mechanations. Uh, Few are, because they're mine, and I've come up with them. You invented the plow? You say that like you're already familiar with it. (laughs) My main question to you is, who are you, and also, ghosts? (laughs) Uh, She she gives you a a big old, like, one eyebrow up at uh, ghosts, and says, uh, under normal circumstances, if someone showed up, in my yard and started asking questions, I would tell them they had to answer my questions first. But since you just saved my life, I think, I can tell you that I'm Gilly, and I'm guessing that you're the blokes that Master Kep has sent along. We are some of them. There are more of us. I don't want to hog any sort of spotlight, but we are just a small fraction of an elite force that has been together over the course of a couple of weeks, maybe a month or so now, uh, taking care of problems. Oh, good. Then he's gotten the two dozen that I recommended. In a manner of speaking. Basically. Uh, if you count limbs, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
all right, then it's your funeral. Uh, so you're, you're, you're wanting to go in after the, uh, the spooky ghosts, yeah? Yes. Uh, I am a cleric of the Church of the Immaculate Hammer, Gebetto, Filchbatter, Fonklin, Knackle. Uh, the one skulking around would be Himlin. Oh, shit. Hi. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, our compatriots are outside. Uh, should we summon them? Is this a good place to meet? I don't want anyone to futz. You know, it's a bit early, but uh, let's have us some lunch. Uh, she invites you into her uh, sturdy-looking and large farmhouse that sits on a small hill. And uh, walking in, you see nine hooks by the door, and you see uh, one of the hooks has a hat and coat on it. And you see a hallway with paintings that are askew and, uh, like, dust bunnies in corners. And uh, you come to a large kitchen, uh, which, similar to the barn you were just in, seems to be filled with all these metal arms and, and whirling things and whatever, and you actually bump right into, you guys would readily recognize, a Modron. And it seems to be of the same like make and model as the ones that you saw in Agland, uh, except that this one uh, is wearing a little chef's hat and an apron, and is holding a uh, broom and seems to be sweeping the kitchen. Where have you found yourself in the good fortune of, of owning a Modron? Oh yeah, you've seen these before, have you? Yeah, Matt Master Kep. Uh, gave it to me as uh, has said it's something he picked up in his travels and had no use for and uh, gave it to me for watching this uh, dangerous countryside for him. I'm assuming the whole group has been summoned. Everybody's yeah. in the kitchen. Uh, Himo is lagging a little bit behind because he's straightening all of these pictures. That were <laughs> yeah, I think I, I think Gebetto didn't move a hand to straighten them, but he's definitely like taking note that they were all crooked. <laughs> I would like to ask Gilly, like, does it cook? Uh, well, he's actually, he's stolen my hat, he has. And she takes the hat and puts it on her head and says, now, Ron, that's not no way to behave. You go back to your work. And uh, Ron the Modron goes sweeping away. Um, and she says, well, I'm a cook after a fashion. And uh, she pulls a lever and, like, all these things around you start whirling and, like, eggs are cracking into pans over fires and you know like just like wide-eyed and yeah. this whole thing like this is I, I, it, the equivalent of today's taking instagram photos that's what i'm doing and in, in that world <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah but yeah a, a meal of, of eggs and toast is being prepared by the machinery around you so this is all a bit overwhelming but we do have some amount of business to attend to um we are vengeance sorry was that a full sentence mostly Okay. We're workshopping a title. Uh, there used to be another of us, and kind of it's left in his legacy. It's it's a whole thing, but the point is, ghosts? Yeah, so uh, we got the land out here real cheap because of the ghosts. So I've always felt a bit warmly towards them because they don't scare me. No problem I've never been able to solve with some machinery, but uh, it does get spooky after nightfall, for sure. And um, we were getting tired of having to fight off all these spooky creatures that kept coming out of the mist at night. And so we developed this perimeter that does most of the work for us. And yeah, so there's something up in the herd hills just west of here, which you can see out the window. And she gestures in there, and there's these sort of low, low hills in the sunshine that seem to be clear of any trees. It's just sort of grassy knolls. We've achieved a sort of balance with them. They can't really reach us. We're not really expanding into their turf, I guess. But unfortunately, recent uh, last year, my uh, my husband got some ideas into his head and he gathered a few blokes and tried to go out there and survive, tried to expand our lands and, of course, never came back like the rest of them, leaving me with my seven good-for-nothing sons. And you hear some, like, sounds of work uh, restarting somewhere out in the, in the farmyard. Honestly, I'm not getting any younger, and I'm concerned that once I'm gone, can't tend the defense machines anymore, that my sons will just fall victim to this ghost. And, well, it seems like there's just a lot of reasons to be rid of it. So, glad you're here. I have some questions. Uh, so, uh, you know, uh, not to sound like we don't know what we're doing, but... That's a, gr a great way to start a question. Sounds good. You know, our, our experience with fighting the Ethereal and, and ghost-like machinery isn't always the best defense. So I'm really curious, how, do, how did you use machinery to fend off ghosts? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Uh, there, there are definitely ghosts involved with this whole situation. But the only things that ever came out of the mist and onto our land seemed to be, like, reanimated animals and, and stuff like that. And so 
uh, the machinery seemed able to to cut them down. We had previously been fighting with swords and, and pikes and all the usual things, and that seemed to work. But there was this one time a sort of spectral woman attacked us. This was shortly after we set up out here, actually. You know, we stabbed and slashed and nothing seemed to happen. You know, I, I had this old scimitar my grandfather had given to me, and I ran into the house and grabbed that off from above the fireplace and gave that a swipe and cut her finger clear off, and she left this ring that I'm wearing. So maybe this, that's, and she gestures to the, the sword that's hanging over the, the hearth of the, the room that you're in and says, I don't know what's special about that sword, but it seems to work. Would anybody be able to uh, assess whether or not it is a magical weapon? Uh, but it seems like you might. I, I do have the spell identify. If I may, I'm s- sort of a connoisseur. I'm the most knowledgeable on weapons and their craft and their utilizations of anybody here, even the man whose job it is to use them. Uh, but all that aside. But he never stops speaking. So uh, fast <laughs> question. Uh, is there anything special about the ring that you got off of her finger? You know, uh, it's interesting. When the sun goes down and the mist rolls out of the hills, the ring seems to be pulled in that direction. Oh, sorry for interrupting, Gerbetto. You can continue now. I, I'd uh, like to identify the sword. Yeah, you, you want to touch the sword and check it out? Yeah, sure. Whatever. It's cool. I will burn a spell slot so it doesn't take ten minutes. You're welcome, everyone. What's up with the sword? Uh, it is a, like, nominally magic sword. Like... It's like barely magical. <laughs> like, like, uh, well, well, put it this way. She said it was a grandfather's sword. It, it has some a very old spell that seems to be lingering slightly in it. But, it, but you can tell with your smithcraft and knowledge, you can tell it's actually quite a bad sword. Otherwise, <laughs> interesting. This is a classic case of just a drop will do you. <laughs> oh, one of those. So it looks like enchantment of some capacity is critical. Absolutely imperative. That's terrible. We should have a group huddle after this meeting, and we shouldn't tell Gilly. <laughs> I'm right here, but like I've got to get back to work in a little bit, so I'm just going to have this lunch, and then I'll leave you to it. You know, my house is your house, and all that. Oh, uh, so are we having a powwow now? Well, we're just freezing. Okay, I'll take this out in the barn. And she leaves. <laughs> I'm interested by the ring, um, it, so it pulls uh, when the fog rolls in. That makes sense. Uh, I'm curious why a specter or ghost would have been wearing the ring. What importance did it have to that? I mean, if nothing else, if we had that ring and it was pulling towards a place, it's probably the place we want to go, right? Maybe it's basically like a, a way to get where we need to be, yeah. So we need to chop off her finger. If somebody grab the sword, we've got a finger to chop off. <laughs> Let's just ask. Oh, that's an option. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> If it turns out cutting off is integral to the process, then we can move to your plan, Hema. I can always heal a removed finger. I, I do have that capability. Oh, well, great, great, great. I didn't know we have options. Healing people we've harmed has worked out so well. <laughs> I'm a little afraid to ask this question in fear that the answer may take the next hour, but Jibetta, why did you want to talk to us without Gilly around? Oh, because... Uh, they're under the impression that we're going to do this swimmingly, and I hate to disappoint. But also, worst case scenario, we all die because none of us have magical weapons, except two of us, I think. Well, Pimlin, but... Pimlin apparently has every magical weapon. Pimlin has some magical weapons, but he also is notorious for participating in fights in which he does not attack anything. <laughs> Too busy climbing the walls. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so per- perhaps, uh, Pimlin, you could share the wealth for the first time in your life? It's going to be difficult, but... For you guys, I think I can manage. I mean, I am, of course, drenched in magic that will allow me to deal damage to these spectral beings. I don't even need to lift an actual weapon, though I might because I find it soothing. But I worry about Suka and Hemo. And Suka has bracers. Are those not magical? Are those a weapon, though? Bracers are armor. So could you... I have a question. Is she a monk? To, to that end, yeah, she's a monk. Is it possible, Suka, you could rely on attacks with your wrists... Where you just you just like hit people with the wrist. Is that possible? <laughs> braces are not armor or a weapon. Is the the description I have of them? But what if you hit people with your wrists and then they're on the wrists and you hit them with the wrists? <laughs> How can you stop it? <laughs> <laughs> I have some magical pickles and some magical bees. Yeah, eat a pickle, make yourself magical, and then just body tackle them. <laughs> Yeah, you need to you need to have your whole body registered as a lethal weapon. I like this plan. 
I'm, I'm glad we had this conversation because, well, among other things, this is reminding me we got to get Hemo some top quality here. We got to we got to invest in some infrastructure when it comes to Hemo's arms and weapon. I'm wondering if there is somewhere we could get something that is magical that I could then meld in that way that I do with that thing that I do that into several arrowheads for Hemo, while the magical effect wouldn't necessarily benefit the damage in any way. It would make the attack land consistently. I was going to say, we could just take that sword. I know it's not necessarily magical, but like, just take it, because it clearly cut off the finger. Sorry. And if you guys need me to steal it, <laughs> I'll steal it. <laughs> I was literally about to remind you that that is theft, and then I remembered your entire deal. It's all theft. If I know anything about smithing arrowheads, and I don't, then you should just be able to clip the scimitar into triangular little sections and then put those on a stick, and then those are arrows, right? Isn't that how arrows are? You're not wrong. <laughs> I, I have a metal spear. Will that be helpful? I mean, is it magical? I'm not sure. I got it. Sony gave it to me at the trinket store. I mean, you just... What does it do? I, it, it's literally just a metal sphere. It just came free with something I got. So. He does sell magical things. On the other hand, I don't know if, if you melt down a magical thing, the things that you make out of it, are they also magical? I, I, will, roll, I will rule that yes, because boy, will I have some fun with that if you do that. <laughs> okay, cool. And if I know anything about Tierney, whatever that metal ball does is probably pretty wild. Timlin's just going to take that sword off the wall. This is gonna do. I like that the conversation has moved away from that, but Pimlin's like, just fuck it. I'm just just in case. <laughs> While you guys have been talking, Gibetto, I, I have thought of a proper answer to your inspecting that sword. So it is magical, but it is a minus one sword. That is hilarious. <laughs> uh, I have a train coming, so I'm gonna mute for the next couple minutes. So All right, well I'm gonna roll for theft. Okay. Uh 24 on my sleight of hand. There's, there's no one around to stop you. We all know what you do. I'm still being sneaky. We all I don't know that. So, the larger thing here is we just need to make sure that everyone has the best chance they have to succeed. I guess I, I am also concerned that I have no real, like, line of defense here. Nothing I do is particularly magical and all the things I'm good at don't seem like they're going to work on a ghost. So I'd like to just go talk to Gilly. Can I, let me let me just ask one question to Suka. This is probably asking Suka about this in response to this concern, as she is like with one foot out the door. Um, yeah. So the source of your power derives from chi, yeah. which is like your sort of internal spirit energy, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So like, how does that jibe with is like a ghost just chi, or is a ghost no, is a no chi in a ghost? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, is an attack that you make using your spirit will that like knock the spirit of the ghost out of its non corporeal misty form? This is very intriguing to me. I step my other foot back into the door. Right, we got her back. She's back. The chi that a monk understands is like an understanding of all the elements and whatnot that's around them. Magic is usually defined as things that aren't fully understood. There are some people who can control this lack of understanding and the magic users. But I think a monk has a deep knowledge of what they're working with. Okay. It, having listened to, to both of you, initially that made a lot of sense, but what the key I have uses is really that bodily energy. Like I know how to use my body and I know how to channel that energy to use my body. Yeah. Well, ghosts don't even have bodies. So. Yeah, I don't know what to do with, with it. I can't, like, transfer that energy because they don't have that. And I feel like I just throw it at them. It just goes right through them. I'm kind of glad that train went by because it really gave us an opportunity to have some sort of cosmological debate about the ontology of ghosts. I feel like Magnus is just in the corner realizing that, like, other people's power comes from within themselves as opposed to an external entity. And he's like... Did I make the right choice? That's going to make him feel terrible, right? It's just like, oh, oh, you mean you're a whole person and you have, like, real, like... You don't have you know, to, like, ask anybody to, to teach you spells and stuff. Yeah. You just kind of know what to do. <laughs> huh. 
Meanwhile, Gibetto is like horrified that you don't need leadership to require magic. Like, you don't serve a higher thing? Like, what do you even do? <laughs> you don't have to apply for it. We're having the same thing, but opposite sides of the coin. Yeah. <laughs> it just happens. I- what I really want to know is why we were having this discussion. What did Pimlin steal? <laughs> what isn't nailed down? <laughs> just got like a bunch of eggs like in your shirt. Like. <laughs> We'll need it for the road. Well, I'd like to continue out the door and go talk to Gilly and say, you know, I'm not really sure how to handle these ghosts. I'd like to know a little bit more about your ring and see if you have any suggestions for tackling something that doesn't have its own bodily form. You know, like I said, it's it seems like there's at least one actual ghost involved, at least. At least I've only ever seen one. And everything else they've ever thrown at us has been reanimated or or something that we could attack with machines and blades and such. So, you know, if you're concerned about, I'm assuming the ghost defenses, whatever those might be, are probably of similar construction. I could be wrong. But my guess would be that this person, this, this entity, has probably shown their hand a bit in what they've been sending out against us. As for the ring, before my husband went and did his rash fool thing and got himself lost or killed or whatever's happened to him, there were several other people who, you know, had a pack on their shoulder and decided they were going to settle the herd hills and headed out. And a few of them actually came back, but had been lost for days. And so it seems like it's as much a navigational problem as it is a threat to your life (laughs) problem. So... I'd be happy to loan you this ring because I'm guessing it's it's pulling towards something out there. It's probably something bad, but if you're trying to find the bad thing, it'll probably help you. Yeah, I'd appreciate it. I'm not sure how useful I'll be in this battle, so at least I can get our party to the right place. If there's reanimated corpses, you're going to be able to hit them. I can handle those. Alfred's sticking his head in the door, having eavesdropped on that conversation. If there's reanimated corpses, you'll be able to hit them. <laughs> <laughs> having, having found the dairy barn in the interim. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Straight from the source, yeah. <laughs> uh, one other bit I'd add is, um, you know, and I can I can show you this if you like. The herd hills are totally harmless during the day. You can walk all over them as much as you like, but it's it's when the sun goes down that the mist rolls in and things get spooky. So it may be that whatever you, you're trying to get may not be around during the daytime. Do you think it would be more beneficial to camp out or to try and traipse it? in the night. I mean, nothing of what you're about to do is going to be beneficial. Uh, it just depends on whether you feel like walking at the start of your funeral or not. <laughs> so once we get into it, assuming we're faced with multiple enemies at once, uh, perhaps the elves take the reanimated corpses and those of us with magical weapons or magic take the rest. If you can be hitting a ghost, A, always... B, B, C, clearly hitting ghosts. <laughs> Recommend. But yes, I think learning a bit more about the lay of the land would be beneficial. I have a, a question. When you say that largely um, reanimated animals come through, we're talking like animal animals, things that don't utilize tools or... Uh... <laughs> I mean, I want to be clear. I have only ever dealt with the stuff that's been sent at me. I have never done a foray into their zone. I have no idea what's in there, so, you know. We should assume we'll encounter things worse than bears and boar and well, perhaps a tour. Yeah, I think we should take a tour of the land. I think we should assess for the rest of today about it, sleep, and then in the morning head out. While we're assessing, we can prepare different accoutrements. Is everybody find that amicable? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Cool. If everyone's on board with that, in the interest of time, I can montage the the remaining day of assessment. So basically, the chief trait of the hills is that they are, like, unmarked by anything. Like, they appear natural. They're just these sort of rolling knolls, I would say. But they're just sort of uniformly clipped. Like, I think you call that heath, right? Like, almost like a golf course kind of vibe. And I think Gilly would happily take you over them and show you how rich the soil is and the prospect of farming there is great. Um, But there are really no identifying features. Um, And you could certainly understand how in misty nighttime conditions somebody could become lost in this area. Hey folks, this is Luke Brevoort, your host and Dungeon Master. And today I'm speaking to you as one of uh, Gilly's good-for-nothing sons. I was getting in some good shirking. 
and they had to come and interrupt me. Don't interrupt a good shirk. It's hard to get a good shirk on. Thanks for listening to Session 31 of Vengeance. The show is edited and sound designed by me, Luke Brevoort. Our theme song is Castles in Winter by Joel Van Drokenbroek. All other music is by me. The website for my sound work is splendorsound.com, and you can email the show at vengeancepodcast at gmail.com. All right, let's see what kind of spooky adventure we're getting into here. Talk to you in a couple weeks. Bye. Uh, so you've learned lots of stuff. Your, your plan was to stay overnight in this farmhouse, yeah? I think uh, away in a manger, no crib for a bed. You guys are stuck up in a hayloft somewhere. And I think overnight you would hear a wailing on the wind from the direction of the hills. And, I don't know, you guys have fought some stuff. You've heard some beastly sounds. I think this wail sounds like a beautiful voice making a terrible noise, if that makes any sense. Like, you don't get a bestial vibe from this. You don't get an evil vibe from this. You, it sounds like a beautiful voice making a terrible noise. Okay. Uh, we only sleep the four hours. Um, I'm curious. You know, we wake up before everybody else. Mm-hmm. I would like to know if you feel any pull on the ring. Uh, like a perception check on that, or do I just get to decide? If you're if you're holding or putting on the ring, you, you, I can tell you, it is pulling in the direction of the hills to the west of the farmhouse. Okay. Uh, so you want to go for a walk? I would like to go for a stroll. I don't want to go too far in. But, you know, I like to edge out. Okay. I would like to take Hemo further than he would like to go. <laughs> Great. Okay. Uh, so you begin walking in the direction of the hills. I think it's still, and you're able to more easily make your way through the, the uh, wind, wind chime death trap. And uh, as you pass over the fields, uh, it turns from farmland to just grassland, and there is a mist rolling over the land. And eventually you come to a place where the mist, which had been maybe like a foot high, suddenly like it's like a right angle and it's like a wall. Um, like it appears as if you're approaching like a 30-foot high disc of mist, a mist disc, if you will. <laughs> Uh, so is it not moving? Like, is that like a border where it's being put? It's it's like if you were to contain natural mist within like a glass box or something. Like you feel like you're looking at this sort of, this edge is being maintained by something that you can't see. All right. Since the hills are mostly nondescript, I'm going to take like a, my, my weapon so that I can find it tomorrow uh, to know right where this line was. Okay, cool. So, Suka, do you want to try and go into this mist? I think that seems like a bad idea, but... I would at least like to step into the mist. You can stay outside of the mist so that you can pull me out, but I would like to step into it. Okay. Can you, like, hold on to my arm? Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, um, so it's not opaque. You can still see one another, but Suka, um, you don't really see anything new. Um, it's like stepping into a cloud. It's You're surrounded by this, this thick mist, and you can't really see more than, like, 10 feet in front of you. I take a deep breath and try to observe what I feel. Sure. It's spooky, but otherwise you don't feel anything unusual. Okay. Uh, you come back out and head back. Do you want to forage for any... Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yes, yes. Can I, like, look around <laughs> and get anything to forage? Yeah, dude. Sweet. Forage. All right. I roll plus culinary. Oh, yeah, that's, uh, I rolled a 22. Uh, yeah, so you, uh, roll a d4, and that's how many bunches of herbs you find. Uh, that would be three. Okay. Adding to your, which I kind of forgotten about, you have this, like, bandolier of herbs. Uh, not so much anymore. I've, oh, I've used, used them? Yeah. Okay. Oh, no, I guess I do still have a lot. I just haven't done anything with them. <laughs> I have up to 12 bunches of herbs. That's quite a bit. Cool. Are you guys heading back? Are you hanging out there? What's your move? Yeah, uh, so we can relay in, in the morning when they wake up, we can relay this information. I've done my best to create a very long line that's easily noticeable when we come back. Mm-hmm. Cool. Cock a doodle doo. It's the morning. Good morning, everyone. You're in a hayloft. That's <laughs> you. Just a, a couple of things. First of which, this is very good reconnaissance. But the main thing that's weird to me is that you guys always go to sleep at the same time as us and wake up early when you could stay up later. <laughs> and wake up at the same time. <laughs> Good morning, people. We like to that early. <laughs> yeah, I guess in this world. In yes. this world. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fantasy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Breakfast, and then maybe we hit the road. Yeah. Is there a heat source? There's, oh, yeah. There's a kitchen. Is it okay if I cook you all breakfast? It's been a while. I'm all for it. I got some nods. So I, I take that as eagerness 
and I go ahead and cook some breakfast. So that's a, a culinary role, right? It sure is. Excellent. Just shove Gilly to the floor. <laughs> <laughs> Gilly's not out here with us. We're in our own little hayloft. There's no kitchen in the hayloft. It's back in the barn. Okay, there's there's a there's a fun little like fire pit in the yard for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. This okay. is great. But there's a term people sometimes use, ludonarrative dissonance, which is when the gameplay of a game and the narrative of the game don't line up. But there is never less ludonarrative dissonance for me than when Suka has to make a culinary role to do to like cook something or do something like I feel like this is the soul of the campaign right here. Yeah. <laughs> well, I rolled an eight. <laughs> okay. Now, actually, we're going to wipe that roll from the record because I forgot. I keep forgetting to do this right. So. Before you roll, everyone has to say whether or not they are eating the meal that she's about to serve. Yes. So that's a yes for all around. Okay. Now that we have that, go ahead and roll. We'll see how it goes. I'm out. I'm out. Oh, you're out. Okay. Okay. That's a natural one. (laughs) Oh, no. Okay. Constitution rolls with disadvantage. That's right. (laughs) Yes. so, So everybody's puking. Not me. I was out. Everyone except Hemo is puking. Better out than in. Thanks, Magnus. <laughs> I say that like while I'm puking, so it's sort of garbled. Uh, so for the next day, uh, all of you who ate have disadvantage on constitution-based rolls. I think after I'm done puking, I'm just going like, to flop back on the ground and be like, do we have to go today? <laughs> Can I offer everybody a bunch of herbs? You may offer us nothing. <laughs> I don't want any herbs. <laughs> the only herb I want is some clover. Sounds good, doesn't it? People were laughing about clover before, but now who wants clover? Everyone. (laughs) With that out of the way, do we want to venture for the wharf? So are you setting off? Yeah, I guess so. Yes? Okay. So uh, just to make quick work of it, so you make your way out there. Again, these sort of uniform hills. And you can readily find the line that Hemo uh, carved in the earth but there are no discernible landmarks or anything in that spot during the day. I'm just really proud of myself, so I'm explaining in detail, this is the line I drew. <laughs> I'm just slowly trudging past him as he's <laughs> saying this. Is the ring pulling you anywhere during daylight? It is not. Okay. I think we should make our way in a little bit just so that we don't have to fight the entire way or be on edge. Right now, it's a wonderful, balmy day, and I think it would be great if we did part of the journey during that. Yeah. I agree. When Suka and I went out the night before and saw the uh, fog, it was described as like a disc. Do we have any sense of what the radius was so we can maybe uh, estimate how far the center would be? Yeah, um, it's a little, little tough because it's sort of an amorphous, roughly disc-like shape, but I would say the radius would be on the order of miles. Okay. Uh, I'm going to vote we don't go too, like, I don't want to be in the middle here. I want to be, like, say, I don't know, a mile in, I guess? It's miles. Well, then I want to climb to the top of a hill and percept. Cool. Okay. With that added height. Uh, a 19. Okay, so from where you're standing, you would estimate that the full area of the herd hills is approximately 10 miles in diameter, and where you're standing is a few miles into that, so... Based on what he was telling you, it would seem as though the center of this mist zone is roughly in the center of the hills. This area is surrounded on three sides by mountains, which actually, Magnus, you're getting kind of like this would be if you guys were to proceed through the hills and into the mountains, you would end up in Stone's Throw eventually. Like this would be sort of a back door to Stone's Throw. So it actually looks slightly familiar to you, I would say. Okay. Um, But in terms of the hills themselves, uh, they are, uh, once again, uniform. I think I'm going to take one of my torches out of my pack and like stick it into the top of this hill and light it. Okay. And then leave it just as like a possible waypoint. Okay. Presumably doing so near to nightfall. Yeah. Cool. Any other moves before nightfall? Oh, I think all I've got left to do is wait. Cool. So the sun sets behind the mountains to the west and it's a beautiful clear skyed evening. Some stars are out. And then the mist begins rolling in. And uh, as the elves experienced the night before, it's sort of a short one or two foot high along the ground mist. And then you see a white shape expanding out toward you. 
And if if I'm taking it that you're about a mile inside the perimeter, almost like um, I'm picture, I'm thinking of like videos of explosions where there's like a shock wave that comes like alarmingly quickly across like water or whatever. It's like that, but this is like a wall of mist that it is not natural. Like normally mist would sort of just form slowly and whatever. This is like, like passes over you guys. And suddenly you are just in this cloud of mist. What do you do? How does it smell? It smells like regular ass mist. Interesting. Is my is my torch still burning even after that coming over us? Yeah, I'd say so. I would like to percept again into the mist to see if I can see anything coming. Cool. No. Uh, that's a four. You don't see anything coming. Poke mm. myself in the eyes. How's that ring doing? Yeah, I, I guess I am paying attention to the ring to see, is that a roll or is that just you? Nope, it's plainly obvious. So it, the sensation is similar to like if you held a ring close to like a magnet or something. You feel your hand pulled and it's actually much stronger than you experienced last night now that you're further into this area. Uh, and it is pulling you uh, strongly forward. Okay, so I feel that pretty strongly and I'm pretty clear about it. And I say, hey, everybody follow me. And I, I start to follow that pull. I promise it's it won't be like breakfast. I'm gonna knock a bolt into my crossbow and just keep it drawn. Yeah. I'd like to prep Eldritch Blast if anything comes out of the mist. Okay, uh, so you guys start walk- walking forward. And I'd say you're walking for maybe five or ten minutes and uh, you feel yourselves going up hills and down hills and uh, around the sides of hills. And um, suddenly you come to a big stone doorway in the side of a hill. And I think Palfrey would actually be most familiar with something like this. Uh, this lo- looks to be like a burial mound of some sort. This is this is a, a sort of arcane construction that you maybe would have seen ruins of near Send when you were growing up. But this thing is open. There's nothing blocking the entrance, but there's darkness inside. You cannot see what is inside of it. Before we go in, I'd like to uh, cast Primeval Awareness. Uh, ding, 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 undead. All right. Guys, there there are undead around here. Surprise, surprise. Paul, for you, do you still have that orb I gave you? I do. We can light it up. I doubt yeah, let's, it. Let's light it up. Let's activate the orb. Create some nice ambient. Yeah. And it just like floats in the air in front of you. Yeah. So like a child with a balloon, Palfrey has this glow. <laughs> yeah, glow uh, I want to go in. I never actually went into one of those when I was a kid because I was always told it was very dangerous. But now I don't care. I'm level five. So let's go on in. <laughs> you quantify yourself with like a metric? That's weird. Well, I feel like I'm about five times as strong as I was when I was a kid. So yeah, I would say level five. That's what I mean by that. That's low. <laughs> Children are weak. <laughs> Palfrey, as you uh, approach this door, make a perception check. Oh, that's a five. A five. Okay, cool. Um, so the rest of you see, the rest of you see uh, Palfrey go into this doorway, and he completely disappears into the blackness, including the drift globe. Uh, the light does not pass back out into the door once they pass the threshold. I'm immediately going in after him because I know that he probably can't see. Okay, uh, Magnus, make a perception check. Uh, 15. 15. Um, you notice carved very faintly uh, into one side of the stone doorway, uh, you see the words Blorfdor was here. Blorfdor? He's been everywhere, man. <laughs> As I pass it, I'm just going to like tap it and just full voice go, Blorfdor was here. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so you pass this threshold and uh, you suddenly can see Palfrey and the Drift Globe several paces ahead of you. And it seems, the Drift Globe, by the way, Palfrey, seems to be illuminating a sort of formless, dark space. Um, Not formless. You're aware of, like, you're in a tunnel of some sort. But it's illuminating the immediate walls around you, but it's extremely dark and you can't really see uh, very far ahead of you. I'd like to follow in and see if I could see any more because I have dark vision. Cool. Yeah, you go in, and I guess if you guys are comparing what you're able to see, like, verbally, you don't seem to be able to see any more than they can. Oh, so this is unique, because normally I can see farther than them. Yeah. I also have dark vision. I think everyone but Belfry does. Oh. And Pimlin. I'm sort of connection with Rusty, so we, like, I'm kind of curious if we can communicate across this barrier. So I'm, you know, uh, looking at Rusty, you know, kind of gesturing like, Rusty, you go in there, and then 
I'll be able to sense if it feels safe. And the response I get from Rusty is, or the response I sense coming back from Rusty is, no, 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 I don't trust you. You go first. <laughs> and in this moment, I'm like, okay, yeah, that's fair. I burned that. I've shot you enough times. <laughs> I go first, follow it after Suka. Great, great. Your experience is similar to hers. You can see the rest of your party. Rusty can kind of sense that and makes his way out. Great. Once Suka comes in with us, I want to ask her, does this seem to be where the ring was pulling you, or is there further yet to go? Uh, the ring is still pulling you, Suka, uh, forward. I, I, I relay that, and also press the digitate uh, flickering candle flame. Ooh, very nice. Yeah, uh, similarly, it illuminates your meetings, immediate surroundings, but doesn't seem able to penetrate the darkness roughly 10 feet in front of you and behind you. Oh, I'm going to pass through the barrier. Great. And I think that leaves Pimlin. <laughs> Pimlin really does not want to jump through this barrier. It just seems like a terrible idea. <laughs> so uh, he's going to do it anyways. Okay. <laughs> okay. So if you guys are proceeding, you uh, would walk for what feels like a very long time. Um, like I would say you would guess you've traveled almost a quarter of a mile when suddenly uh, you come to an end of the tunnel. And I need someone to roll a d20 for me. Palfrey, since you were kind of first in, why don't you roll for us? Sure. Pressure. Uh, it's a 16 unmodified. 16, great. Okay, let's see. Um, okay, great. So uh, you pass through... Uh, well, so you see... The first thing you see is an orange glow ahead of you. And uh, as you get closer, you realize you're about to leave a doorway of similar construction to the one you entered through. And as you exit it, you see a small lantern hovering in midair, maybe like five or six feet off the ground, uh, and there's a candle burning in it uh, with an orange flame, which is illuminating a bowl-shaped area surrounded by hills, um, sort of a depression in the earth. And as you proceed down, um, the mist sort of clears, and you find that this clearing, this bowl-shaped clearing, which is about 30 feet in diameter with this floating lantern in the center, is free of mist, and you can see clearly inside of it. Well, actually, and as soon as you come out of the doorway, uh, you hear a uh, whooshing sound, and the doorway behind you is suddenly illuminated with a yellow light. And you notice there are three other doorways of similar construction around this clearing, which are illuminated with blue, red, and a blackish light. So as you come down into this clearing, uh, you hear a voice resonate, and I don't think it would be obvious if it's like, happening in outside or if it's in your heads, but you hear a voice say, And fell upon this earthen world to reap its power and light. Captured within among magical arts, the spell swaddle staff holds the love of my heart. And you would see a vision projected on the walls of mist around you. You would see over a city in ruins, a twisting vein of stars in the sky, and from that light in the sky, hundreds of wisps of blue light descend toward the earth among the ruins of the city. And in the foreground, you would see a woman running into the ruins. And as the vision begins to fade, those wisps descending from the sky lengthen and sharpen into bolts of electricity, uh, which come at you. Everyone make a deck save. Suka. That's natural 20. Dang. <laughs> Magnus. 21. Chibetto. 18. Pelfrey. 12. Pimlin. 8. 8. Oh, no. Of all the people I thought. Um, Hima. 24. 24? Okay. Uh, so, Pimlin and Pelfrey, you both take uh, 4 lightning damage as these bolts strike you. And you are now standing in this clearing, which once again has uh, four doors illuminated with blue, red, yellow, and blackish light, respectively. And there's also a lantern floating above, uh, or just floating in the middle. There's there. a lantern floating in the center with an orange light. I want to examine the lantern. Cool. Roll investigation. <laughs> Eight. Okay. It's a lantern. There's a candle in it, and it has orange light. And it's not being held by anybody or anything. No. Right? It's, it's floating in the air, sort of a, a slow... Okay. this kind of motion. I'd like to pull out the book and look up the staff and see if like any of those colors are mentioned in the book in conjunction with it. Uh, they are not. Okay, cool. Magnus resolves never to go to a book for answers ever again. 
<laughs> do we try them one at a time? Do we try them all at once? Do we... Try one at a time. Let's try the blue one first. Are you sure? Yes. Going for blue? Okay. Uh, you walk through the blue doorway and have a similar experience. You come out the doorway and find a identical-looking bowl-shaped clearing uh, with a lantern in the center, which is burning with a blue light. And you hear the same voice in your head, or maybe in the clearing, say, Our bond was quick, and we knew it would stick. Our love was right and true. Captured within among magical arts, the spell swaddle staff holds the love of my heart. And you see a vision, as before, projected on the mist around you, of a woman standing and smiling with her hand extended. And one of these wisps of blue light, this sort of vertical helix swirling kind of thing, shifts and attempts to form like a humanoid shape. And where the head might be, it shifts to form the image of a young man with a kind face. And these two forms sort of awkwardly move toward each other and embrace as best they can. And as they do, the figures part and turn toward you, and they morph into these sort of simultaneously hideous and beautiful, almost rotten kind of looking uh, young man and a young woman. And they begin to sing. Everybody make a charisma saving throw. Magnus. 17. Okay. Chibetta. 19. Okay. Palfrey. 5. Oh boy. Pimmo. 13. Hima. My charisma is a negative one, which takes my natural 20 to 19. Okay. And finally, Suka. 14. Okay. Yeah, Palfrey and Pemlin. Uh, and now, Suka, you are stunned by this freaky singing coming from these figures. So you are incapacitated. Uh, you cannot take actions. Uh, you can't move, and you can speak only falteringly. Uh, you automatically fail strength and dexterity saving throws, and attack rolls against you have advantage. So basically, you are kind of stuck and stunned, as the word implies. What do the rest of you do? Can I, uh, kind of looking around, do I notice the effect that it's had on the rest of the party? Yeah. All right, then I would like to immediately raise a hand and clutch as though at a throat and cast silence. Ooh, very nice. Uh, that's uh, something saved, right? Uh, actually, uh, I don't think it is. I think it just happens. Oh, I'm thinking of blindness, because you were casting yeah, blindness. Well, yeah. Yeah, any creature object entirely inside the sphere is immune to thunder damage, and creatures are deafened while inside it. It's also impossible to create a sound or have a sound pass through that area. Cool. Yeah, so I would say uh, those of you who are affected by it, uh, Pemlin, Palfrey, Suka, uh, you can make a charisma save, um, with advantage to recover from your stunnedness. I got a natural 20. There you are. I got 20. All right. 18 plus 2. Yeah, you're good. I think Colin had to step away. Um, let's see. Uh, Gibetto, one of them is going to step up to you and is going to attempt to grab your face and kiss you. It touches him. I had my Eldritch Blast catch yeah, yeah, yeah. him, but we can do that first. And then maybe. Is it a, a dex thing? That's right. That is a dirty 20. Okay. Yeah, you're able to get out of the way of, of this uh, grasping, hideous, but also beautiful form. And uh, Magnus, that triggers your, your bit. Yeah. Does a 10 hit? It does not. Cool. Uh, yeah, you see your, your blast uh, whip off into the mist, illuminating a small area around it as it goes. And it uh, actually, you hear it hit a hillside nearby. The other form, uh, the we'll say the male form, uh, is going to come at Pimlin. Uh, and Pimlin, you can make a death save to get out of the way, if you like. Or you can just take a big kiss from a spooky smoocher. Not today. That's a 13. Uh, that actually does not succeed. Um, so, of course. This, so these two, like half-rotting but sort of beautiful hands on either side of your face and they give you a big old kiss um, and you take nine necrotic damage. Oh my god. Yeah, because they like suck some life force out of you. They hand some, some herbs to them. Sure. And yeah, what is what's happening? Are you force-feeding me food? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's a, no, I really just found it on your face. Oh, okay. Uh, what'd you hit? 13. Oh, wow, okay, yeah. You got it. So then I think you roll for, it's like 1d4 or something. Least exciting. Two. And then you, it's plus, it's like 1d4 plus your... 
What's my culinary? Oh, I have strong culinary. So that'd be eight. There you nice. go. This is just a very confusing wave of emotion. <laughs> Hands in the face getting slapped with herbs right afterwards. <laughs> I feel refreshed though, I don't know why. What's everybody else doing? I mean, are we rolling initiative? Like, yeah, we... I mean, well, those of you who haven't taken an action so far, go ahead and take an action. I'm stunned, right? Uh, you, you, you had an opportunity to save while you were gone, so you can roll charisma. To... With, with, advantage. with advantage. With advantage, yes, thank you. Uh, that's a uh, 16. Yep, you're good. You are unstunned. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you can take action. Hemo, you can take action. Pimlin, you can take action. I would like to slash at these spooky smoochers. Very good. Swing away. Oh, that's a 18. That hits. Okay. And that is going to be 24. Points of damage? Yes. Oh, da- oh right, because you're doing, you're, you're rolling. Yeah, Colin and I worked out over text recently. He's just going to roll uh, both attacks at once so he doesn't forget to attack twice, which is a great move. Yeah, I think you cut its freaking head off. The, the male one is headless and lifeless and uh, falls to the ground. That'll stop me from having to confront any latent homoerotic feelings I might have. Now only the woman will try to kiss me. Ha <laughs> <laughs> Well, we can't hear anything you're saying because we're all deaf. So you right. just, none of us heard it. Yeah, yeah. This is a 30 foot diameter space. So, like, the area of effect is kind of the whole thing. Yeah. I have multiple ways to use my longbow, or would that be a disadvantage? You could position yourself where you could, you could use it. All right. Uh, I, I will attack, uh, but I will do two individual attacks. Cool. That's how I. That's how you literally roll. Exactly. I, I rolled a twenty-six to hit. That hits. And damage is ten. And for my second attack, I rolled a twenty-three to hit. Uh huh. Damage is nine for a total of nineteen damage. Okay. Yeah, this uh, female figure has arrows sticking out of her, and she's hissing in great pain, but she's still standing. What's your move, Pitman? Was she the one that grabbed me? Yes. Yeah, okay. Her hands aren't around my neck, right? No. Anymore? Okay. So I'm going to disengage and I'm going to... Can I hide as a, in, in the same action? <laughs> Absolutely. All right, that's what I'm doing. Now, I will say hiding would mean leaving this clearing and going into mist because there's there's nothing to hide behind. Well... Um, so you would, you would have to leave the area. With my size, I think I can hide behind a companion. True. It'd be, that's be true. hidden. So I, that's what I want to do. Okay. Classic. Why do we keep this guy around? <laughs> Who are you hiding behind? That's a good question. Probably Magnus. Make the most sense. Yeah. Magnus is shaped like a Dorito. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Magnus, seeing your steely blue orc eyes, I think this creepy gal can't resist uh, and is going to come at you. Make a deck save. Uh, 19. Okay, uh, you, you get out of the way, uh, and she, she sort of lurches forward with uh, arrows that sticking out of her chest. Can I just, like, push her face away and be like, I'm taken, but again, no one can hear it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, you know, in fact, I think that just in the interest of rounding things out, and she's pretty much dead, let's say you knock her over and shoves an arrow further through her chest, and she moves no more. Uh, and you were standing in this clearing, which is now cleared of living enemies, at least. Again, illuminated by blue light, and there are four doors uh, illuminated with a white light, purple light, green light, and red light. Purple. I want to head through the purple. Like, I immediately head through the purple. Given all the purple that we've seen, I have purple herbs. I'm, like, drawn to the purple. What were the colors again? The colors were white, purple, green, and red. Okay. I feel like this is a puzzle. I'll, I'll, I'll go ahead and drop silence. How nice of you. Yeah. Do you yell at me for running through the purple door, or does anybody follow me? Because I'm literally just headed directly. I, I just think it's like, I, I really want to remind you as you're running that most of the purple we've encountered has been very terrible for our collective health. But also useful. Like, it gets us to what we want to accomplish. Uh, Suka, roll plus wisdom. <laughs> That's another natural one. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, Jibeta, you feel emboldened uh, in, in your argument that you're making. Like, really, it's just an entire city burnt down in this color. And I, I find it a little distasteful. If, if I can, I'd like to retreat. Cool. Yeah, you can. Okay. Like, oh, oh, all right. All right. What if we did red because blue plus red makes purple? Is that a compromise? Sounds good to me. Also, there was a red door in the room we just came from, so... 
there's another opportunity for purple. Maybe we can hit purple. It's okay. I was brought back to reason. <laughs> okay, so you go red. Uh, you go through the doorway. Similar experience. You come to an identical clearing, uh, illuminated by a lantern with a candle burning red in the center. And you hear this same voice say, From stars above appeared my love, all shining blue and bright. Captured within among magical arts, the spell swaddle staff holds the love of my heart. And you see a vision as before projected on the mist. Uh, You see a twisting vein of stars appearing in the sky above ruins. And you see a woman in a tower looking upward. And as this vision fades, four of the stars remain in brightness and become intensely bright. Everyone make a constitution saving throw. Those of you who ate earlier make it with disadvantage. Timo. Uh, 17. Okay. Pimlin. Uh, 14. Okay. Uh, Palfrey. Natural one. Oh, boy. Uh, Gibetto. I rolled a three and a four. <laughs> oh, man. Magnus. Uh, nine. Okay. And Suka. 13. Okay. Palfrey, Gibetto, and Magnus, you are all blinded. And uh, Hemo, Pimlin, and Suka, uh, you see the stars from this image hover up above you and seem to pulse with a menacing energy. And we will break until our next meeting. Not that it affects anything, but would my sunglasses have helped this? Hmm. Yes. It should have been just a flat roll. Yeah. It wouldn't have affected anything, but... Yeah. <laughs> I can remember it for next time. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I, for, I kind of forgot about the sunglasses. Gibetto, uh, the headcanon of Gibetto needs to be notched up a few points cooler, in my mind, at least. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that that's accurate. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody good for next week? Yes, sir. All right. Thanks for hanging. Thank you. Right. Bye, everyone. See you. Have a good week, everybody.